would be a relief uh, to be able to stand here this afternoon and be telling you uh, that the connection between drug use and abuse and the occult was a myth or an exaggeration employed simply uh, for shock value. It would be a relief to be able to do that, but it would be a lie, unfortunately. There is a reason that the drug connections in Mexico, for example, are so strong. Mexico has long been a center of occult activity. In fact, it's infamous for it. Another country actively involved in the drug market and steeped in the occult is one that may surprise you and maybe one you wouldn't think of unless you were aware of the origins of their religious heritage. China, for the last decade, has been witnessing not only a rise in Christian activity, for which we're very thankful, but also a tremendous rise in the occult, especially among the leaders of the Communist Party. Um, read a report not long ago of a group of leaders sitting around a table in a restaurant, and they had an occult leader in their midst. And he was looking around the room, and by looking at the eyes of the individuals who were at the table, determining uh, what their future would be, but also uh, what they needed to do to preserve their place in the party and uh, further bring things forward. The Chinese government has been trying to crack down on this rise, but they've had little success. And in Mexico, so sad is the situation, that occultists are being employed to raise charms and curses, not only among rival gangs, but in communities where they're trying to use occult forces and powers to protect, to protect them from the cartels and the violence. So community leaders are getting together, and they're saying we need to get these occult powers working on our part so that they can protect us against what the cartels are bringing against us. And the cartels are employing those same forces to control not only their rivals, but to protect them from the military and from law enforcement. And this isn't Oh, something that's happening like in a movie. It's not something like you're just reading in a novel. This is actually taking place today in the countries around us. And it would be a mistake to limit this in your minds <coughs> to these occultists making little pouches of herbs or making boil and bubble incantations around uh, boiling cauldrons, reports of ceremonies to conjure up demonic help by cartels have involved human sacrifice. And in fact, it's not just in Mexico, but that's surfacing around the world right now. An Albanian drug dealer operating in England who called himself the devil spread terror and drugs through the green and pleasant land of England all over the countryside for months on end. And he was seemingly immune to any efforts to catch him 
despite the fact that while he was doing this, he was doing live interviews on Albanian TV. So they were calling him in England and interviewing him and showing it live on their television networks while he's doing this in the English countryside. Um, Those things are going on right now. And as we pointed out last week, this problem of drug use and abuse is not just political, and it's not just medical, and it's not just social, and it's not just spiritual in the way that pop Christian culture views the subject, but it's far more insidious than that. It has deep roots, deep roots embedded in the occult. And drugs are a favorite tool of the great relentless enemy of mankind. And it's not something that's going to be rooted out by casual, polite, or half-hearted measures. It's just not going to happen. There's a real reluctance, it seems, to face this reality. And as long as that reluctance continues, the enemy is going to have the upper hand in this battle. It's truly strange to see how this aspect of the drug issue is avoided and ignored. And I'm not sure whether it's because of a superstitious fear of the occult and demonic activity or a doubt that the occult exists and has any power, any intentional spiritual leadership or any end game in mind. And tell you that law enforcement at times does not bring this issue to bear because they're afraid of the impact it would have on society in general. And so they don't talk about it, even though they have evidence for it over and over again. Now, the Bible, God's Word, says plainly that we have an enemy who desires to keep us in bondage and to bring us to hell. An enemy that has been actively operating since the fall of Adam. An enemy that has terrorized the world and was admittedly served and worshipped during two of the most cruel and I would say violent regimes and oppressive regimes in modern history. Nazi Germany, and Stalinist Russia. Most people are familiar at least a little bit with with Nazi Germany, but not familiar with the occult influence in Stalinist um, Russia. Stalin was considered an expert in the occult, and he was actually interviewed and and, uh, referenced by those who were interested in the occult because of the knowledge that he had of it. And yet... Many, including a majority of Christians, are just not sure if we have anything to fear or to worry about specifically in regards to the occult and its influences, and believe, I think, that the warnings of the Apostle Paul, while they make great posters, you know those Roman soldier posters where they're dressed in the full armor of God, makes a great poster. It's really good for Sunday school and things like that. Nevertheless, the warnings aren't to be taken too seriously or too literally. We, we want to we do that. We want to put on each piece of armor. And we want to put it on with prayer. And we want to understand what each one is. But the reason for putting it on, 
We're not sure whether that's literal or just uh, symbolic or and sort of, we don't worry about that. Just make sure you've got your armor on. The Holy Scripture deals with the issue of drug use and abuse in the context in which it was so often found in the ages in which the various books of the Bible were written. It addresses it in regards to witchcraft and sorcery, fortune-telling, the black arts, and supposed contact with the dead. Now, we've already established that simply stated, sorcery is an old word that signifies the mixing or preparing of drugs. A sorcerer poisoner was the one who mixed those drugs and who was also termed a magician or literally a pharmacist. And we've not been concentrating so much on the nature of these arts or the descriptions of the drug use in regards to them. That's something for academic research, and there's a a good deal of evidence available regarding that. But we've been looking more at the design and the intent in the use of these drug-laced activities. What what is the aim? What is the purpose in their use? Not in protect perhaps the individual, but in the occult forces that are using them. What, what is the aim? What is the design? What were they used for? And how did Satan and his servants, both spiritual and natural, employ them in deceiving and manipulating people? Because the truth is that though the usage has changed, and changed in some dramatic respects, the intent and designs have been very much the same throughout all of history, and I believe right up to this moment. So far, we've seen that sorcery and idolatry, both of which undeniably involve the use of mind-altering drugs, from cannabis to more potent substances, have been around since the earliest times, and they've been consistently Uh, practice throughout the centuries. You find these things being employed from Genesis to Revelation and from Egypt and Mesopotamia to Asia Minor and Palestine. Uh, You find that throughout the scriptures. We have also documented from the Bible that the servants of the occult employed drugs, among other things, uh, to give the impression that they are able to accomplish things normally only associated with the power of God. So in an effort to reflect on themselves some sort of divine power or understanding or or, um, influence. We've seen that Satan himself, along with his demonic servants, were at work in that process, seeking that outcome, that, that the occult would be given the same regard, the same respect, as what was done by the true and living God. We then saw that one who is a drug sorcerer, as the Greek refers to them, uh, was not permitted to live in Israel. These characters were associated throughout the world with pagan idolatry and all of its lewd and drug-laced practices. And the success of this effort, whether truly demonic in nature, or merely the work of charlatans depended, and in a very real sense continues to depend, on the superstitious gullibility and the powerful fears that the unregenerate mind is subject to. Uh, 
especially when exposed to mind-altering drugs. And we talked about the mind, the spirit, and the nature of unregenerate men last week and, and asked the question, why would you give to somebody in that situation? Why would you expose them to a drug that enhances um, those things that are a part of who they are? When you take into account the nature of males and females of any age, without the redeeming, refining, and sanctifying work of Christ in them, it's sheer madness to freely and deliberately expose the human mind to mind-altering or enhancing drugs. Just go back to Romans chapter 3, and beginning in verse 10. Paul's writing there, and he's describing man outside of Christ. <coughs> and you'll remember these words, I think most of you. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They, they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not found or they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And when you read that analysis of unregenerate man, man without Christ... Women without Christ. The outcome of exposing them to mind-altering drugs, drugs is, is guaranteed by their nature. They will not become more productive. They're worthless. The scripture calls, says that they're worthless. And exposing them to a mind-altering drug, drug is not going to make them more productive but more worthless. They will not be motivated to do good. They will not become more honest. No, they're dishonest by nature, but you give them a mind-altering drug and they'll be more honest than they were before. No. They will not become more generous towards others. They will not pick the paths of success and happiness. They will not find the way of peace. It won't come to them. And the evidence is before us and all around us in any life we know that has been given over to drug addiction and drug use. It doesn't, it's not on an upward trajectory. It's on a downward one. And the Christian who is logical and who believes the Bible and believes that it speaks accurately about human nature is bound to agree with the danger involved in exposing unregenerate men and women to drugs. On occasion, when I was younger, I had the opportunity to preach the gospel on the streets of Philadelphia, particularly on the street corners in an area of the city called Kensington. At the time that I was doing that, it was a rough neighborhood in some respects. It was also the home of many blue-collar workers, 
and their families. And God worked in some hearts, and there were real opportunities to share the gospel with people. And we actually saw some folks from who were not living on the street, but who lived in that neighborhood, join the church that we were helping. Today, that same area is a drug-soaked street. And the addicts have become infamous on YouTube and other social media. If you ever go there, you'll be astounded. If you just ask for Kensington Avenue in Philadelphia, you will see things that will just horrify you. Flooding that neighborhood with drugs has reduced the state of it to a state of misery. And anyone preaching on those corners today would go mostly unheard because the addicts have been turned into mindless drones by the drugs offered to them. That's amazing to see a person standing on that street, and you see they're all over it, who are bent over at the waist, and their hands are dragging on the ground, and their heads are down, and they just stand there and rock back and forth like that. I can't even bend down that far, but their heads are almost touching the ground. And they're just completely lost. You can't talk to them because they have no way of hearing you at all. So has that exposure to drugs in that area brought it on an upward trajectory? No, it's brought it sadly and pathetically downward. And exposing men and women who are lost to these things doesn't enhance their lives. It tragically and sadly ruins their lives. But what about the believer? In the strength of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, is the believer in a better position to handle mind-altering and mood-warping substances? Now, we have the strength of the Holy Spirit. We have our love for God. So can we go in and dabble with these things and, and actually be on an upward trend because of our exposure to them? Well, just like I mentioned this morning, if anyone had the spiritual strength to do so, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Surely he had the spiritual maturity and the grace to handle something like this. In fact, some modern religious pundits who are also drug users suspect that Paul did use drugs to enhance his spiritual experiences. The reason he was carried up into the seventh heaven was because he was using marijuana to carry him up there. Now, of course, there's not a shred of evidence to suggest such a thing. And I would go even a step further. On the basis of Paul's own testimony, I would say that it would not be something for him to engage in safely. Drugs of any kind. On the basis of his own testimony, I say that. What did Paul admit about himself? Well, in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, he says this. For I know 
that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. So do you think Paul would say, so give me something that will enhance and enable me to get in better contact with my flesh? Because I know nothing good dwells in it, so give me something that will enhance that. I don't think so. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So give me something that enhances my abilities so that I can keep on doing what I don't want to do even more or more powerfully. Or, or what is, Why would you do that in that situation? He goes on to say, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So give me substances employed by the enemy to lead people into sin. Because evil's right close to me and I want to avoid it. So give me that. It would make no sense in this context. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Why would you want to give any advantage to the enemy in that warfare? So in ancient Israel, this drug-linked behavior, whether in conjunction with demons or not, whether involving drugs and potions or not, was not to be tolerated, at least in part because it threatened the people's consecration to the Lord and their ability to to maintain their covenant commitment to him. The presence of these purveyors of drugs and sexual promiscuity, among other things, brought people into a state of idolatry. And so they weren't permitted to live. Now let's see what we can learn here from uh, Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, as we sort of move down here. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or uh, tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or anyone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, not everyone who uses drugs is a witch or a wizard or a sorcerer. We're not saying that. That's not the point. What we're trying to demonstrate here is that those who employ these things often did so with the intent of deceiving, deluding, and manipulating others to their own advantage. And those duped into being the victims of these men and women, (coughs) they got involved for various reasons, recreational reasons to worship, from a desire for enhanced sexual experience to escaping life's burdens. And it's astounding to see how often it's reported by some drug abusers or, or rescued addicts that it was one or several of those very things that they were after when they first got involved with drugs. 
So the very things for which God was saying, you cannot have this in your midst, the very reasons for that are the very reasons why we see people entering into it even today. We're not seeing the rise of a hip new drug culture like the world wants us to believe. No, not at all. We're seeing the same old, tired deception being foisted on young people and others for the same reasons and continuing to, to produce the same results. Now, notice that the sorcerer here is associated with the practice of religious infanticide. That drugs played a part in the lewd practices associated with paganism was and is very easily proved, beloved. But what about in this modern culture, so removed from those crude uh, rituals? The Guttmacher Institute is a non-religious international organization established to encourage reproductive health. It is, in essence, a what we might call a softly progressive institution. They issued a report. The report is entitled Exploring the Link Between Substance Abuse, uh, Use, I should say, and Abortion, The Roles of Unconventionality and Unplanned Pregnancy. The report has four authors. It was published in June of 2006. Here's the context for this report. Several studies have found a relationship between abortion and prior substance use, suggesting that a reduction in substance use might help decrease abortion rates. However, such a conclusion requires a greater understanding of the processes linking abortion and prior substance use. Here's the results of their study. In the analysis that did not control for unconventionality, women who reported smoking cigarettes or using marijuana or hard drugs at age 18 had an increased likelihood of subsequent unplanned pregnancy and as a result, higher rates of abortion. In addition, Women who had used marijuana and had an increased likelihood of abortion independent of unplanned pregnancy rates. So it's not just an increase among those who found themselves pregnant and didn't anticipate it, but those who were expecting that it would be the result but were using drugs, they have the same high rate of abortions goes on to say that in the final test, those who are not involved in drugs are still likely, if it's an unplanned pregnancy, to get an abortion. So there's no real sign that it would make a difference overall, but it would make a difference in the context of those women who are using drugs and then have either planned or unplanned pregnancies and how many abortions would be Uh, uh, executed. So we can say at least that anecdotally there remains to this day a link between drugs and the death of infants. 
both deliberately and incidentally. The incidental death related to drug use for infants is an aspect of the crisis that we're facing that is so depressing that I had to stop studying it. I started reading reports on this of where women were reporting their children were dead. This is post-prenatal. The child is born. And because they were on drugs, they had no idea why their child died or even if the child was dead. They had just because they had no sense of their presence. So they smother them. They put them in risky situations. They do all sorts of things. Just in one state alone, in a one-year period, the rate of deaths among infants for drug-using women had risen 30%. And it was already high. But it rose 30% in just one year. As these trends to accepting marijuana use and drug use in our society is moving forward, these things are happening. I read report after report about infants dying at the hands of drug-addicted mothers, women who were utterly unaware of their death-dealing behavior. In this passage from Deuteronomy, the Lord states unequivocally that those who engage in drug-associated occult practices are loathsome to him because they lead to idolatry and away from the one true and living God and confirm men and women in their sin and bring them to death and misery. It's quite simple. I believe to understand why God intended to bring an end to their stupefying practices in Israel, you have to understand that this was a part of it, that it led to idolatry and led their lives into misery. And in the face of all this, as we've dealt with it so far, I want to leave you today with a sense of hope. We're a people of faith, and we believe that with God all things are possible because with him nothing is impossible. Our hope is in him because we know that uh, he is the God of all things. Jeremiah said in verse 32, or chapter 32, verse 17 of his prophecy, he cried out, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. <coughs> but this is a very serious spiritual struggle. And we're not going to see victory easily, beloved. Whether we're speaking of those we know and we love who are entrapped, or whether we're thinking of our culture and our nation. If you understand and believe that the drug lords over the border are not just flooding this nation with drugs, but are actively seeking and soliciting the help of dark powers as they do so, rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, as Paul describes them, then you must understand that the victory is not going to be won by mere policy or even by flesh and blood directed against such programs and efforts. This is a war that will have to be fought on our knees. We cannot prevail otherwise. And I'll just close with this. Do you recall the man who came to Jesus because the disciples 
were unable to deliver his son from the torturous hands of a demon? And do you remember that after Jesus easily rescued the boy from the clutches of the evil power that had him, he says this, and this is a, it's recorded in both Matthew and Mark. I'm reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 28 through 29. And when he had entered the house, that is Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we drive out this demon? They'd cast out others. They'd been successful on other occasions, healing and casting out all sorts of demons. Why, can't, why couldn't we cast out this one, they said. And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, and some texts add, and fasting. As one commentator observes, spirits of such malignant power and hatred are quick to discern the lack of moral power in we men and women and will only yield to Christ. And when we're dealing with men and women, young men and women, who are in the control through drugs of these occult forces, it is naive to think that we can change that easily or just by some policy or even by what I might call the usual spirit of prayer. The prescription that comes across from this incident is that when you're dealing with entrenched evil, you have to have three things. You first have to have faith. Faith in the power and the ability of God to deliver them, even though you can't. Secondly, you must depend on prayer and recognize that this is something, this is a battle that's only going to be won on your knees by brokenheartedness before the Lord. And by coming again and again like that woman to the judge who would not be satisfied until she got the answer that she was looking for. And it must be done thirdly with a sense of the urgency of the matter. A recognition this isn't something I can conquer. This isn't something that I can overcome. This isn't something that this one I love can overcome in himself or herself. It can only be overcome by the Lord and the Spirit of God working in his or her heart. And when I talk about prayer, and I think the Lord had this in mind here, that we come on our knees and we storm heaven and we won't have much hope of success without it. But I think it means our coming together as believers as friends, and saying, look, we know that you have this loved one who's in this situation. We need together to pray for them and, and, and to beg the Lord to work and to show his power in the context of their lives and, and to ask others to join us if we're the ones who have people that we know or that we're thinking of or in that state, and certainly to do it on behalf of our nation. It's not going to happen from just the casual prayer, Lord, please bless America. It's not going to happen that way, beloved. This is too insidious of a battle. It's too deeply entrenched. 
It's going to come out on our knees. And I pray God will give us the grace and the love for others that will enable us to face the reality of this and deal with it accordingly. We'll continue through this as uh, we move forward in the days ahead. But let's pray. Father, um, please, please hear our prayers. Some of us have loved ones that we know are caught up in these things. And Lord, it's heartbreaking. Father, we have nowhere to go but to you. No name to plead but the name of Christ. It is the power rests with you, Lord. This is a spiritual battle for their very souls. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We're living in a time when the officials who rule over us are taking the position that this is a good thing, that this is something we have to accommodate. This is something we have to help within our culture. And Lord, we'll never break that mindset ourselves. But we know, Lord, that you can change hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray that once again on avenues like Kensington Avenue in Philadelphia, the gospel might not only be preached, but there might be people with ears to hear and by your grace, hearts to believe. Lord, we commit the issue to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.